Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I am so stoked to have you here. I cannot wait for you to meet our guest today. I have the incredible Monica Denias with us. If you don't know her already, you are going to fall in love with her. I promise. Monica is a Latinx licensed professional counselor, certified rehabilitation counselor, and mental health coach in Dallas, Texas. Monica helps women entrepreneurs live their best lives so they can stop questioning their confidence in life and business. In her counseling practice, Monica works with women entrepreneurs who struggle with anxiety, burnout, codependency, entrepreneurial stress, perfectionism, life transitions, and self-esteem issues. Monica is also the host of the Cafe with Monica podcast, where she helps millennial listeners by educating, sharing tools, and interviewing inspiring and resilient millennials to help others overcome their everyday issues, all while chatting it up with a cup of coffee. She's awesome. If you couldn't tell, I was reading her bio and I love her bio. I feel like it is such a clear indication of her personal spirit and what she exudes. And I just know that you are going to get so much out of this conversation. It's really funny too. This was one of those talks. I know that we've done this before on the show. At the end, I looked at Monica and I said, what are we going to title this episode? Because we talked about so many things and we didn't just glaze over these important themes. We really dug into them. And that's a testament to Monica's brilliance and the expert therapist that she is. So we talk about things like boundaries, which you know is one of my favorite topics, healing your body image, perfectionism, so much more. Not only do we really unpack why these topics are so important, Monica really showed up and shared valuable tools so that you can begin to take action and implement in your own life. This is not a conversation where you're just going to lean back and listen. You're definitely going to want to take notes. There's a lot of a lot of things here. So maybe listen to it once. Go back, listen to it again. If you feel called to take notes, maybe just note things in your mind. But this is definitely more of a hands-on episode as well as valuable storytelling as well, too. Um, before we hit play on this conversation, you will find everything in the show notes that's how you can connect with Monica. You'll be able to access all of the resources that we mentioned in our conversation today, as well as just general information for what we have going on in our community. And also the workshop that I have created, my own intuitive eating workshop. If you are fed up with constantly feeling cautious and crazy around food, you're absolutely going to want to grab this. It's completely free. And I created this specifically to support you in building a healthier relationship with food and your body. In this workshop, I cover the three areas in your life to clear out so that you can feel more powerful around food. I also include my evidence-based method for connecting with your hunger and your fullness so that you can feel comfortable when eating. 
And I also go into a signature exercise to feel instantly satisfied, present, and healthy from the inside out. Once again, you'll be able to access that intuitive eating workshop in the show notes of this episode. And if you've already downloaded it and just need a little reminder to schedule it some time to watch, this is my reminder for you, my love. This workshop is packed with actionable tips and information that you won't want to miss out on, I promise. So you'll find all of that in the show notes. But for now, enjoy this conversation with my guest, the incredible Monica Denias. Okay, Monica Denias. Hello. Welcome. Hey, girl. So excited to be here. I am so excited to have you here and to get to know you since this is the first time we're actually sitting down and getting to know one another. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about um, what you're offering in terms of like your podcast and talking about body image. I feel like we don't talk about it enough. Um, and I think I, I just would love to share my perspective on on everything. Ooh. Let's do it. Let's let's just jump right in. And the first question that we ask everybody who comes on the show is your first body awareness moment. So can you just share what that looked like for you, that moment where you realized I'm in a body and this means something in the culture that I'm living in? What did that look like? And how did that shape your relationship with your body and or food moving forward? Yeah. Okay. So for me, um, for me, when I was like really aware of my body was in the fifth grade, I, I started, I, ne I never noticed that I had like certain features and, and other people that other people would pick on until fifth grade. When I would have, I would have this group of girls that I would hang out with. They were part of the pep squad that I was in. And they would always touch my cheeks. I have like chubby cheeks, got it from a mom and they would always pick on my cheeks and they would all make comments about my cheeks. And um, I remember just feeling super insecure about it. Um, always like checking more in the mirror, how I look like, and then like being more aware of the other parts of my body as, but that was like the first thing that I noticed because it was the first time that people had pointed it out. Like, oh, like this is something that is different that not everybody has. Or at the time it felt like nobody in my circle had like big chubby cheeks, right? And in, in no way did I ever think that I was like, chubby or had weight on me or anything. I thought I was just a normal kid with just, you know, like, you know, growing, like I never noticed that that was something that was different or that people would identify as like, oh, okay. Like, um, labeling as like chubby or fat. And I remember being super insecure about it. And see, then starting noticing more of like the people that I idolize, like in the media, like Lizzie McGuire, like Hillary Duff and mm -hmm. all these other people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't have chubby cheeks. Like, you know, like this is, that's, this is how I'm different. Right. And, and so, yeah, I think that's like my first body awareness moment where I would say I started criticizing my body and realizing that I was look different, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the way that you're describing this because just how I'm visualizing your story is getting this 
feedback, this very specific feedback from a peer group at a really impressionable age, internalizing that, trying to figure it out for yourself, and then seeking outside validation from successful uh, women who are around your age. Like you said, Lizzie McGuire, what I imagine you're, uh, you guys are probably around the same age when she's mm-hmm. on TV and everything. So getting that external validation, am I hearing you correctly so far? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is like, I was aware of my body before in terms of like, like I was, I was aware that I had a body, right. That like my body was growing, but I, I never started criticizing my body until that moment. I never noticed it was different, um, until that moment, because beforehand I would just, I grew up with a lot of boy cousins. So I didn't have a lot of like girl cousins that I could, you know, talk about body image or talk about my body, my mom, um, my grandmother, they never talked about those things. They never introduced those things. I didn't even get to talk about like when I had my period, like that was when we had the conversation. Like I didn't know about it before, like a lot of not just not talking about uh, certain topics that were deemed taboo. And so growing up with all, all guys, like you don't talk about, like, they don't talk about their bodies. And if they do talk about their bodies is in terms of like strength, like how much can you lift or like, how much can you, like, can you climb this tree? And, and so for, for that, like I had such a positive experience. Cause I always thought like my body, what my body, what my body can do, right. Like my body can climb trees. My body can, um, throw the ball really far. Like, you know, like those were the things that I grew up and I thought that was such a very positive positive experience until I had, like you said, a group of girls, group of peers that started pointing things out to me. I know so many people are listening to your story right now, just nodding their heads thinking like, yep, I, I know exactly how that feels. I certainly can relate in my own lived experience. So when you did have this moment of, just recognizing that you felt different and you started getting that validation from, from women in the media. How did that shape your relationship with your body moving forward? I think that's where that's when it started. When I, when I started comparing myself to others, right. Um, I think that's when it started being more cautious about what I was wearing. Um, that's when I started um, learning more about exercise and ways to lose weight or to be smaller, right? Be thinner. Um, and the thing is that that's when I also started noticing the conversations around me that family members would have that I didn't know were about my body. Um, so like in the Hispanic culture, they have no filter with um, like poking fun at you or like talking about your body. There was no boundaries about like what can and cannot be said about your body. I mean, it was said, and they would often be used as terms of endearment, like, Oh, gordito, gordita, like, Oh, like, you know, like you're chubby, um, you know, and, but never realizing that some of those things like do stick to you um, because now you feel like, okay, that's my label. Like I remember my cousin being called like gordito, like chubby, and he was not at all like 
Like he didn't have any weight on him. Like he just, he, I mean, like, and, and so, um, he would also struggle and I would also struggle seeing how my, my family would, would, when we were like in situations where we were eating, it would be like, okay, if you don't eat the full plate, then, um, it's a, it's a, it's disrespectful. But then if you do eat the whole plate and get seconds, Oh, you're chubby. Like, Oh, like you're getting another, like you're, you're getting another portion. So it was like, damn, if you do, damn, if you don't. Mm -hmm. And so it would also be like, our grandmother and, our, and my mom would also point out things like, Oh, like you're so thin. Right. So it was like this constant, like, um, never being like enough, like never actually reaching their, their expectation of what they wanted for your body. And I never knew that, that other people had expectations for my body until I started hearing and paying attention more to what my family was saying. Mm. And I didn't even know how they would be like treating other people, like how my grandma would treat my mom in terms of like how she would talk to her, her about her body or how my mom would make like slide comments unknowingly that, that, that this could be hurtful. Um, but she would say things like if we would go, I remember fifth grade, we went to go get my prom dress for a fifth grade prom. A fifth grade I, prom? Yes, we had a fifth grade prom. It was it was a thing. So oh, we had a fifth grade prom. That's so cute. And, and I remember going like prom dress shopping and like trying all these different dresses. And my mom, um, I was trying this dress that I really, really liked. And at that age, like you, like you want to get validation, like you want for somebody else to say like, oh yes, you look nice in that dress. And so I asked my mom and her comment was, well, I'm not going to wear it. Mm. And I re and I remember that. And I was just like, wow, like that really hurt. You know, that really hurt that. And, and, and that comment, she would always say it like it, and, and now, now I know because I've healed that part. Now I know that it was out of a place like that's not my taste, but I internalize that as you don't look good in that, like, and your body doesn't look good in that dress, you know? Um, but that's how, what, you know, that's what I interpret it from those words. Um, and so I got constantly trying to, that's where kind of like the people pleasing started happening for me. Like, wanting to please other people, dressing the way all my friends would dress. Like, um, if my, my, if my friends say like, okay, this girl is cute. It's because she would say, they would say like, um, like she's thin, like only thin girls are beautiful. Like, like all of these things that I started, like all these things just happen after fifth grade, like middle school was rough in terms of like every single like peer that you had or like new friend group, it was a conversation about beauty and body. And in a weird way, cause a lot of people, it, a lot of us were like hitting puberty at that time. And it would, it was just, it was crazy how we would talk to our bodies in middle school. Is this, were your peers predominantly Hispanic or was it multicultural? No, it was predominantly Hispanic. And um, so in fifth grade, um, so like the whole fifth grade thing happened and, and then we moved to middle school and I joined the dance team and that was in, in, in dance. I remember that summer, like our coach would let us know, like if we weren't thin enough, 
And I would see girls who would try out who weren't, who our coach didn't consider as thin, but were amazing dancers, but didn't make the team. And I would see this pressure of perfection, you know, like every hair had to be tied back. No, no loose hair. Everything needed to be tight. Like you couldn't have um, any, um, but it was just like a normal flab in your, in your, in your tummy. Um, nothing could jiggle. Like she would make the, like our coach was so rough on us. Um, and yeah, like those were the things growing up. Like it was, it was, it was hardcore competitive between um, my peers. And then what other people would tell us we, we had to be, um, or it was perceived as beautiful back then. So this is really interesting. And what I'm gathering from your story from what you've shared so far is there's there seems to be like this trifecta where it's cultural it's generational and then it's emotional too like all of the things that you're talking about and how you've shared that growing up there just wasn't a filter and so that was just kind of indoctrinated into how things were when you when you were growing up and and probably how your parents were raised too would you say like is this Mm -hmm. the generational thing absolutely absolutely um because I remember I was like 15 or 16 and my mom had said a comment of like well when I was 15 or 16 I was this size um you know so like even for her like growing up like she she identified um a certain size as being thin a certain size to be the ideal Mm-hmm. Right. And well, again, maybe it was because she was trying to motivate me or encourage me or maybe maybe lead a healthier lifestyle. I don't know what it was, but but I internalized that just as pressure to to um, be a certain standard that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize it then until I started um, finding. I started finding is tendencies, perfectionist tendencies that I have. Um, and where I would be a people pleaser, I would do things that other people wanted, um, losing my sense of self, right? Like just being part of the group and meshing in a group instead of being like my own identity in person. Um, this was very much in middle school was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and not being able to like, truly just like find my own identity. It wasn't until later till I discovered like all the perfection, staying busy, constantly being in activities, um, constantly having, get, getting straight A's. I was trying to reach a level of perfection mm-hmm. um, in other areas of my life. I remember when I didn't have, con- or I felt like I didn't have control with my size or my body, it would mean that I would end up working harder in other areas mm. to kind of, um, oh, what's the word? Overcompensate. Yeah. Overcompensate. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. This, I I resonate with this so, so much. And I'm curious, do you feel like this is something that you saw amongst your peers? Like was perfectionism pretty rampant in, in just your peer group growing up and just like your culture growing up? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, even when I would go like to another friend's house growing up, um, I, it, it was kind of like the same, the same tape, <laughs> the same things were being like what I would hear at home. I was hearing them like, Oh, like come eat. Oh, but 
oh, you better eat because then you're going to be too skinny. And then, oh, you ate two plates. Oh, you're going to get fat. Like, you know, and it was like constantly hearing that or like, oh, like you shouldn't dress like this. Or, oh, when I was this age, I was this this size or, um, oh, you bet, you know, you better get good grades because you don't want to end up like your like your aunt or your bigger like your your sister. Mm -hmm. So they would constantly compare yourself to other people. So where do you think this comes from? I do want to continue with your story, but just since we're Mm -hmm. talking about the generational and cultural aspect of perfectionism, especially from an adolescence point of view, Mm -hmm. where do you think as a therapist and your expertise, where does this come from? And, and also how, what do you think it's important to um, educate on so that there's an opportunity for change if there needs to be change? Yeah, I think perfectionism can come from family or it can be self-imposed. Um, family being the biggest driver, at least that's what I see when, when I see in my clients, because um, many perfectionists grew with unrealistic expectations from parents or caretakers or even themselves. So often, like in my culture, it was encouraged to be perfect. It was encouraged to do the best and lower than a certain standard wasn't good enough. Um, and this could come also like even being um, like my like my mom, she was born in Mexico. Um, so being a, um, a daughter of an immigrant, there's also a, this pressure to succeed, mm. um, this pressure to do, to do all the things that they didn't get to do or that they don't have the privilege to do because they're an immigrant. Um, and, 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 and the other coin, the self-imposed part is maybe your parents didn't expect any uh, anything from you. Maybe they didn't have any expert expectations, but still your community and your culture, the culture that you were surrounded with still had some expectations and maybe that cultivated your perfectionism. Um, and sometimes it could feel like professionals can feel like no one accepts you for just who you are. So you have this constant pressure to feel like you have to prove your own worth and, with that, perfectionists tend to move towards achievement as a measure of self-worth. Um, so yeah, that's, I hope I answered your question yeah. in terms of like, no, no, where no. does it come from? I feel like you went above and beyond with your answer for that. So I, I, I can appreciate that. Um, so how did you begin to heal your relationship with your body? What, what did that look like? Was there a moment where you realized that something needed to change? Was it more of an evolution? How did you get to where you are now in terms of just body acceptance? Mm -hmm. And and I think it's like, I have my good days and my bad days. Like there's some days where I'm super mean to myself. I was actually just having this conversation with um, another friend that like, sometimes we could be so mean to ourselves and we don't recognize the seasons that we're in. So for instance, like right now in my business, I'm in a season that's very busy. And so that made me not always doing the healthiest things for myself, like going to my workout or um, eating the right foods, things like that. And sometimes um, lacking, compassion in myself can happen as a recovering perfectionist. Mm -hmm. Um, But things that I did is starting implementing more self-compassion and really honestly, like looking at myself as if I was speaking to my younger version of myself, Um, really doing inner child work 
um, where every time I say something to my body or try to have certain expectations for a certain size or not eating the right foods, I have to remind myself, if I were to be telling this to a little kid, would I feel okay to say this to them? Um, Because if I wouldn't feel okay, if I wouldn't feel okay to say this to um, a child, if I wouldn't be okay to tell this to my friend, then it's not okay to tell it to myself. Then I... I can replicate the same compassion that I give to others that I can give to myself. And that is also recognizing that maybe there is a level of where, where that, that yeah, maybe I, I do want to have improvement, but not seeing improvement as a number on the scale, but more of like back then when I was younger and I saw what my body could do, mm. you know, it, I talked about earlier that when I grew up with, um, all boys, it was a sense of like your body, what can it do? Can it climb a tree? Can it do all these physical activities? And that's how I've shifted. I've shifted my mindset instead of like, this is what my body is not something that people can see. And it's my body is something that does things for me. Mm. My body is my vessel that carries me to do all the wonderful things that I put out in the world. And so treating it with compassion and not um, and also healing my mind, because when you're healing your mind from past trauma, it also makes that shift for your body, because oftentimes like disordered eating, all of these other things like come from trying to get a sense of control from other things that have, may have happened in your life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so why was this important to you? Was there a moment where you just recognized that something needed to change or what did this, did this come in time with the work that, that you do professionally and just recognizing some of these things needed to shift it for yourself? Um, what did that path look like for you? Yeah, I think for me, it started in terms of like the shift where I really started seeing that there may have that I had maybe an unhealthy relationship with my body. So in school, as like to become a therapist, you have to do uh, well, they don't you don't have to do, but they encourage you to do your own therapy. And I think it was then when I actually started going to therapy and started noticing and talking, comparing myself to my friends, specifically like their bodies or the guys they were dating or um, the things that they were achieving. And I think that's where the shift happened that honestly, I had to become aware first because I wasn't aware of what, what, how I viewed my body in an unhealthy way. And maybe the things that I was pressuring it to do that were unhealthy, like getting on, um, these very restrictive diets, um, or these like fad diets, um, or feeling like it's, it was all or nothing. Like I'm either doing really well with my diet not eating any junk food, or, um, I'm just going to not like care. And I had that mindset, like all or nothing. And that comes from being a perfectionist and also struggling with anxiety. Um, And those were things that I was struggling with at the time of being like very all or nothing. So until I realized that, that, that all or nothing wasn't sustainable. And until I was aware that there's a lot of gray area in between and that I don't always have to be 100% perfect with, um, my workouts or how I look or, um, letting go about, what, how I want other people to perceive me. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so things like that, because once I started, once I really wanted to, cause I, I think the, like from my body image, it stopped me a lot from showing up and like going to conferences, doing like video stuff, like things that I really wanted to do. And to be honest, Caitlin, it, it when I first started, cause when I first started my podcast, what I really wanted to do was a YouTube channel, mm. but I could not get over myself. And like, I was like, I don't want to show up on video. I don't want to have to look and edit my, you know, my face. I don't want to. And it's always my cheeks. Like, it's so crazy. But I always go back to my cheeks. I don't know why. But like, you know, you mentioned like, what was your first body awareness? And now like that, that that's the one that's the one thing that I consider my like, that is always brought up when I'm trying like when I'm being mean to myself. And um, yeah, I remember stopping like, because I was having an unhealthy look at my body, I could not show up with what I truly wanted to do. And I think that's when I had to tell myself, Hey, like it's time to change. It's time to shift. Like, and it started first with behavioral, like doing things differently. Um, so that then I can work on changing my thought process. Can you give us an um, example of that? Doing things differently to change your thought process around your body image? What? Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, like a behavior that I changed was um, not getting on the scale. Mm, got it. Um, or like work, like workouts. I didn't, I, I didn't put this pressure to work out a certain day mm -hmm. and keep it consistent. Instead, I said, or working out without the pressure of doing it because I wanted to lose weight. Mm -hmm. It was just for my body. Mm -hmm. And so shifting those, doing those behavioral changes, like those actionable hab like habit changes so that you can start strengthening, like, okay, like once you're shifting that, your thought process can change, but it does take, I will say it's not always the easiest thing, mm -hmm. but sometimes it is, you know, changing that behavior first so that you can change your thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, I'm yeah. a big believer in that just, you know, fully stepping in and embodying some of these practices to shift your mind. And I, I'm curious how you feel about this, but I feel like it's a two way street too. Sometimes it is the mindset that needs to come first. And sometimes it's just taking action to, to change the mindset. And when I'm coaching somebody, it's kind of, um, it, it's taking more of an intuitive approach around what the person needs and, and also just letting them trust their own process in that as well too. But that's been true for my own experience, you know, just, figuring out slowly, does this come with action or does this come with mindset first? How do you feel about that? Oh yeah. 100%. There are some people that are not ready to take the action. Mm -hmm. There are some people that really do need to dig, dig into their negative self-talk, into their thought process, into their belief system. Um, sometimes people can, cause I work a lot with, um, women who struggle with anxiety. And so what I've noticed is in, when we talk about body image, um, they'll start overthinking, <laughs> like overthinking the things that they have to do. And so sometimes it is breaking it to smaller, tangible action steps so that they can just do and not think, um, you know, and eventually it just becomes like the while they're doing, they, they adopt this belief of like, okay, this is healthy. This is, this, this works for me. I've actually seen the results that it takes. Right. Um, or like, I, I, I see how this makes me feel. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. 
Well, I think, I think also Monica, something that you said that just really hit the nail on the head for me too, with your own story is identifying your pain point for yourself. Mm-hmm. That your body image was getting in the way of your passion, your purpose, showing up and doing video, putting yourself out there in your business, like stepping into this next level leadership where you, you were being seen just completely as you were. And I think that there is so much strength in recognizing that, like those moments for ourselves individually, what is my biggest pain? What is this standing in the way of, and is it worth it? Because I think everybody, regardless of how you're healing, what, what you're healing in your life, you have to be ready to actually push through that roadblock. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, you have to ask yourself, what am I, what, what am I holding? Like you're holding yourself back, you know, from really truly stepping into your purpose and truly living a life that you love, but there's all this resistance, right? Body image, like we're resisting to really like show up because maybe it is, we feel like, well, you know, we try we try to not get it, not to be judged, not to be shamed. And we fear judgment. We fear that other people are going to judge us or blame us or, um, or yeah, like insert any fear that you have about, about, you know, showing up, right. Whether that be in video, um, taking photos, like all those things, like I was not comfortable taking photos, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, you know what I did? I booked a branding photo shoot and (laughs) and I'm like, okay, I'm going to book this branding photo shoot. I know that I'm so uncomfortable. And I also told my photographer, like I'm hella uncomfortable um, (laughs) with certain, like certain things in my body. And she was like, wow, I'm so glad you told me that. Like not a lot of people tell me that now. And so because she told me that, like, she, like, because I told her that I think we were able to connect even better. And that photo shoot was such a fun photo shoot. Um, and I also got clothes that fit and got clothes. I didn't, I didn't buy clothes and that like, okay, I'm going to fit this for my branding shoot. I said, no, I'm going to fight like clothes that I love that make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can really truly just have so much fun in that mm-hmm. photo shoot, That's you know? Awesome. Yes. And I love, like, this is a great example of just taking action. One of my favorite, one of my favorite tools in moving through perfectionism, which is something that I personally do often is just stepping outside of your comfort zone, like taking that active step, into things that make you feel uncomfortable within reason. Obviously you don't want to shock your nervous system or trigger any trauma or anything, but like booking a branding shoot when, or, or even just a photo shoot when it's what you really don't feel comfortable doing, but just doing it. And I think the more that we practice that, the easier it is to dismantle perfectionism um, in a sustainable way. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's the same thing when I first started showing up on, um, social media platforms, Mm. um, I was so afraid, right? Like I did the podcast because I was still so afraid to show up, but because I did that leap, 
Um, and then I did the photo shoot and then I started showing up on Instagram stories. And then, you know, I started doing live video and like gradually just like putting myself out there with uncomfortable situations. And it's so crazy because some people will say like, you just look so confident. And like, how do you always show up confident? And I, and I tell people that I, I feel the fear, but I do it anyway. And, 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 and that's what I stand for. Like I feel the fear because the fear is there. It's there to try to protect you. When we have all these thoughts coming up about our body, it's because we're probably entering something or don't want to be judged or entering something uncomfortable, but it's false fear. Ooh. It's not the fear that keeps us away from actual real danger. It's just what we perceive as real danger. Um, it's our thoughts thinking that this fear is so real that it's going to like, I'm not going to be able to handle how people, if people comment on my body, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you will, like you will be able to, uh, um, or maybe like no one is going to comment about your body, yeah. you know? So I think we fear things that we don't know. We, we fear the uncertainty of things. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I've co-opted from Glennon Doyle, because I'm not sure how she worded this exactly, but mm -hmm. it's, it's something along the lines of this is hard and you can do hard things. And just acknowledging the, the gravity of, yeah, this is a difficult emotion. You're having a human experience. This is, this is scary. Like you're describing and you can do it and you can, like you are capable of, of doing hard things. One follow-up question that I have to you around this is when, when do we need to check in in not moving forward with the difficult thing? How do we know when it's just too much and that our body is giving us a signal out of that place of fear where we maybe shouldn't do it, we shouldn't move forward? Mm -hmm. I think it's... Well, I mean, you, you mentioned it, it's really listening to our body, like how hard's our, how's our, like, even in the basic level, like how is our breathing showing, seeing our habits? Like, are we not sleeping? Are we having a hard time making decisions? Like, are, um, are we trying to hold ourselves back from doing it because X amount of reason, maybe it is a stressful season, right? Maybe it is a time where instead of, pushing or pulling back, right? Like you, you have to, in order to save your energy, because there is an energy exchange. If you have, if you struggle with body image, there is an energy exchange as you're entering into an uncomfortable situation. And so you have to ask yourself, how much energy do I have? If my energy right now is focused on other things and doing this you know, this one action, maybe not worth it because then I won't have energy and I'm, I, I may need to then have downtime restorative energy because I just entered something that was highly, um, anxiety provoking for me, um, like showing up on video or something like that. Like I'm also a believer of like saving your energy. And also when you're entering anything that's anxiety provoking, to after that, always have downtime, always have restorative time for yourself um, because it can be hard just showing up. It's not easy. Like I said, I, I told you, I gradually, I'm gradually doing things to accept, you know, my body. And sometimes I do, I do regret, I uh, regress. Like I do have those moments 
in March um, this year, in March of this year, um, I was doing some spring cleaning and I did not, I found myself not wanting to throw away these pairs of jeans that didn't fit. And I was like, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm going to, um, I'm going to fit in them. And I'm like, wait, 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 that, this is not a helpful thought. And so then I said, well, if I throw everything that I have, I'm not going to have any clothes. That was the unrational thought. And I'm like, nope, you know what? I have to get rid of these clothes because I don't think that that thought is actually fact. So I threw away all the clothes and not throw away, but like donated. Um, and lo and behold, I have like five, six jeans that fit absolutely great. And I did, and I had clothes, like I didn't just like completely leave myself without any clothes. Um, but sometimes those are the things like, those are the little things that happen, um, that I revert back to like having issues with my body or wanting to push my body to be something it's not at the moment. Mm -hmm. Do you find that there are things in your life that trigger that specifically Hmm. Um. I mean, like recently, I feel like. Well, I think if if I find myself like start if I, if I find myself in a hard season in business, um, I think that the that is the that is the time where I know I have to protect myself as much as possible because if not, I'll start comparing. Mm. Like, oh, like like this person is thriving and only what I can see outward, right? Like there's, we don't see the behind the scenes of other people's businesses. Um, So that's why I truly try to show as much behind the scenes as I can. I feel comfortable in terms of like my boundaries. Um, But I find that what triggers me is other people who are maybe in the similar industry as me. Um, What triggers me is if, Oh, I had a trigger. So like, I just thought of a trigger. So <laughs> last year, my, my, um, my sister had her 15th birthday, her quinceanera, and I had bought this beautiful dress. I even got it tailored to fit because like, it was really big and to fit my body. And when I like an hour before the ceremony started for my sister's quinceanera, put on the dress, right. To get ready the zipper wouldn't go all the way up. Mm. And I just started crying because I was like, what did I do? That's the first thing that I said. What did I do? Mm, interesting. Cause the day before we, I was eating all of these, like all my favorite foods and all that. And, and I, and I immediately went to that, like, Oh, it was probably because I ate all this food the other day. And and the fact was, it was a faulty zipper. Like, that's why I did it. It just didn't want to zip up. It was just a faulty zipper, but I couldn't see that. So a trigger is, um, you know, when maybe just something doesn't fit after a while. Um, another trigger is if my mom, those words that she would say, um, well, I'm not wearing it. That can be a trigger sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I hope that. Like everybody's yeah. triggers are different. <laughs> yeah, they are. That's why I, and it seemed like you were, you were comfortable answering that. And mm-hmm. also everybody who's listening, Monica and I have had a conversation before, and I have this with every guest who comes on around boundaries for the, com- 
for this conversation. So um, I just, I think that's important to acknowledge too, because you just brought up boundaries around social media. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important to talk about that. And it's also something I'd love to talk to you about more, um, just creating boundaries around how you show up. So how do you how do you do that for yourself? What are, why are boundaries important and how have you implemented them in your own business and your own life too, so that you feel safe and free to express yourself in ways that feel really powerful? Mm -hmm. My definition of boundaries are my, my thresholds of tolerance for certain things um, and things that I need to put in place to protect my peace. So I have like, sacred time with like my husband, sacred time with friends, and then also sacred time for my business. And when I show up for my business, sometimes showing up like on Instagram stories can take a lot of energy and I have to kind of stick back like, okay, what do I have going on? You know, this week, can I show up? Um, Or if I know that things are coming up, I will pre-record like my IG stories because it's still important for me to show up, but I don't have to show up on demand. Mm-hmm. I don't have to give away my time to show up. Um, I can be proactive and pre-record my stories so that I'm still showing up. If I have like, if I, cause I, if I've made a promise of showing up like every Monday, mm-hmm. like I want to keep that promise, but I also want to keep that promise for myself. If I'm not feeling well, I'm not going to show up. Um, and so what I've done, because I know a lot of people who struggle with this, like just showing up on like on social, um, especially if you've made a commitment, but you also made a commitment to yourself. So how can you still keep those commitments to yourself in terms of like how much energy you have for that week um, and keeping those boundaries? So instead of showing up live, you can show up right, like pre-recorded. Maybe it is not showing up at all because I've done that, too. Um but for me, it's listening to what my body means um, and not and not pushing it to do things that it's not it doesn't have the energy to do. So like if I if I had a hard time sleeping the night before, I may ha- I, I allow myself to cancel that meeting that I don't have the energy for because I know how I want to show up for certain things. And if I show up with less than the energy that I have, and I'm not going to be able to actually pour onto that person, then I'm, you know, I don't want to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is, is, it's, it's very specific to therapists too. Like we have to honor our own boundaries and honor our own health because it takes a lot of space to hold somebody else's space, you know, when you're in the therapy room. And so if you're not honoring your boundaries, it's going to be hard for you to, you know, share that to, to help your other clients to honor their boundaries. And then you're, you're, you'll start feeling resentful about your schedule, resentful about your business or constantly being too busy. Um, And those are things that I, I try really hard um, to not stay busy because I don't, I, 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 where I was before, like in graduate school, I was always busy and busy just kept me feeling like I was always trying to survive and not feeling like I'm presently living 
in the moment and my life. And I, I, so I, so that's what I do now. I don't, I like having empty space in my calendar. It is the best feeling. I like knowing that I don't have to get to a task right away. Um, and those are my boundaries. Like, I want to make sure that I create space for things that are important to me. So if someone's out there wanting to figure out like what, so how do I set boundaries? Think about what you value and then create those boundaries. But I think it's first identifying your values um, so that that's when you can figure out what is okay for me to do. Maybe what is okay for me not to do, right? Because I think people see boundaries as just like saying no. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's so much more than just saying no, it's saying yes sometimes. And yeah, yeah, I, I am in full alignment with you on values and prioritizing and figuring out your values in order to set your boundaries. And I also think that it's interesting what you just brought up about busyness. And I, think there is a strong parallel with busyness and perfectionism Mm -hmm. thoughts. Oh, Oh, 100%. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you know the, like, I don't know if you know your Enneagram number, you know what the Enneagram is, but I'm an, okay. So I'm a Enneagram three wing two, right? So you're the helper, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what the two is? Yeah. Um, so I'm the achiever. So I can wear busyness. Like it's my badge of honor and, I know that getting stuck and busy is when I'm the most unhealthiest version of myself because busy doesn't allow me to, um, busy doesn't allow me to like honor my current season. Mm. Busy constantly has me in the future and reaching future goals. It doesn't actually allow me to be in the moment. Um, and as a perfectionist, like busy will make me have a, like a a to-do list that is so long, that's so unrealistic. Um, so I, I see busy when people say, Oh, I'm, I'm just, I, I never now before I would see if people were busy, I would say, Oh, they're important. But now if I, if somebody tells me I'm just like super, super busy and I see them, I'm like, oh, that's not something I value anymore. Mm. Yeah. Well, for people who are listening, who are thinking, well, how do I, how do I maintain my success or how do I become successful if I, if I am not busy because that success means I have a lot that I have to do. What would you say to them? Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Yeah. If somebody's listening to this and thinking, well, how do I actually create success or maintain my success without being busy? If I know there's a lot that I have to get done, how, like, how would you coach or counsel somebody who's, who's having some of those thoughts come up right now? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of like if it was an entrepreneur, like if it was an entrepreneur sitting in, you know, in the space and did have some resources available um, in terms of being able to delegate certain things, but also identifying like 
their long-term goals is are are they actually doing things that are that are relevant to their current season that are, that is relevant because I think we can constantly be chasing goals, but really defining your goals in terms of like what what is success for you. How do you identify success, right? Is success for you is being able to do all my to-do lists um, every day. Okay, we'll make that to-do list more realistic, right? Shortening that to-do list, really looking at, because sometimes we can just put too many to-dos just for the sake of doing too many to-dos because we constantly want to get ahead, but we don't actually need to we can wait for tomorrow to do to do that thing, but we have to allow ourselves the flexibility to do that. And and, and when I say flexibility, I mean you have to give yourself a, a pep talk. <laughs> I talk to yourself and saying like, it is okay to give myself permission not to do this, mm-hmm. and know that I can do it tomorrow, and the world will not fall apart. My world will not fall apart. But sometimes we feel like. I think busy, sometimes busy people have this sense of urgency that no one does. No one else has. The self-imposed urgency. Yeah. I need to do this now. If I don't do this now, X and Y and Z is going to happen. And so what, and what I call that, I call that a cognitive distortion. It's a thinking error. And it's where we are catastrophizing, mm. where we believe that the worst possible outcome will happen. Mm-hmm. But then if we start peeling the layers and we start asking, okay, what do you believe will happen? And let's just say it's a, it's a negative, like worst case scenario. If I don't do this, my business is going to crumble. I'm not going to meet the revenue goal, whatever, whatever it is. And I say, okay, can you give me facts about how this will happen? okay, well, this will happen because last month I, whatever, right? Like you start putting facts and sometimes people, people will stop at that point where they're like, okay, I can't come up with any facts because this is not actually mm-hmm. fact. Yeah. Um, and even asking so okay, so in a week, how much is this going to matter in a month? How much is this going to matter in a year? How much is this going to matter? And usually as you, as you, as you start asking yourself these, these things, you start realizing that it's not as big as you think it is. Mm -hmm. This sounds very similar to how you coached yourself through your body image trigger when you were cleaning out your closet. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 it's um, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It's just like (laughs) rethinking your, your, your thought patterns um, so that they can drive that behavior. And sometimes it is also like, getting just in into the action so that you you can actually see that what you initially thought wasn't actually th- true. And sometimes when we create scenarios in our head, I always like to ask myself when I start like criticizing myself or um, because I couldn't get a, a task done or whatever, um, I, as I tell myself, who told you that? Mm. And I, if it was me, then I, I, like, then I tell myself, oh, yeah, that's probably not, not true. Cause it's not, it's, it's rooted in my, in, in, in my own belief. And I'm, you know, it's not, it's not fact. It's just my belief. It's just my, it's, it's a false thought. It's, it's, um, this is what I, this is what my, what I'm doing because I think this is how I'm going to be safe. Um, yes. Oh my God. I so resonate with that safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I feel like that is that is the primal driver for so many thoughts, at least that come up for me, you know, that I, it took me a while to actually recognize that that's the root of what I'm really craving. But yeah, that safety and that acceptance, that really primal desire. But um, I think that is, that is something that comes up for a lot of people in situations like this. I think that's what drives perfectionism in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's starting to starting to really there was this quote, there's this quote called that burnout. Um, you know, we're in burnout when we when we stop, um, we stop believing we're human. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, because we do that. Like we start sacrificing just our basic needs. Um, and I don't know if you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, but my Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like a pyramid. And so at the very bottom, it's your basic needs, right? So food, um, shelter, um, then it's your safety needs. And this could look like stability, financial, right? Having a roof over your head, all these things. Then it's our need for belongingness. Um, and that's like acceptance, right? Um, friendships, connection. Um, then we have, um, like achievement and, and, and acknowledgement. Um, and then at the very top self-actualization where we feel very in tune with who we are and our, and, and our passions. Um, but this, this, hierarchy um i do not feel like it's linear sometimes i feel like sometimes we do revert back to several steps and we just have to when i'm finding myself like in burnout or being busy or criticizing my body or anything like that i will first start looking at like am i honoring my basic needs Mm. because that's that means that i'm in to be putting in those boundaries of like going to bed at by nine o'clock I'm wrapping up my day and I'm going to bed. Oh, I just had three cups of coffee. Why, <laughs> why did I have three cups of coffee? And maybe I'm just like not giving enough um, nourishment in my body, not enough um, energy. I feel cause I'm, if I'm doing things like that, because I know like having three cups of coffee for my anxiety, I'm going to be balls to the wall. Mm-hmm. And um, like I'm not I'm I'm not going to be any good all day, and I'm just going to be anxious and worried. Mm-hmm. And so I have to remind myself, okay, if I'm getting into those bad habits, it's because I'm probably not meeting one of my basic needs, <laughs> and that's probably like sleep or you know what I'm eating or you know like you know all those things. So yeah, that I mean, it's it, that is such a great point, and I think that when we're in that state of burnout or like full-blown burnout because that's pretty intense but also just leading up to burnout it's so easy to get tunnel vision and it's so easy for our inner critic to show up and just shut us down so that we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to zoom out and look at our basic needs but what you're saying I mean that is this is so important because sleep let's take sleep and hydration, water, right? Like those are two essential basic needs. You've got to, you, you have to sleep to function well during the day. And 
you've got to, I mean, and food as well too, but like those are three really primal basic needs for just pure survival. And that's always a great place to look because if, if one of those is off, that's really going to have a, a, a pretty significant impact in your day. Absolutely. And the, the, the one thing that um, the, the number one reason why entrepreneurs are so vulnerable to mental health concerns is because we treat, we, we believe, or we create this illusion of creating more time for ourselves by sacrificing things like sleep, sacrificing things like going to move our body, sacrificing things like eating the foods that are going to fuel us or having water, right? Staying hydrated to create more time, right? Like, oh, if I, if I just, you know, I'll just sleep later because I have to finish this project. Um, or, oh, you know, I just will skip, skip my workout because, um, that way I I need to fit, I need to send this email, right? Like we create all these, like these, um, these excuse, I don't say excuses, but like these obstacles, um, that truly, these are things that should be essential. This would be essential to your self-care essential boundaries for yourself as an entrepreneur to help prevent burnout from happening. And also to, to also heal your, um, relationship with your body, because after doing all these bad habits, the first thing that's going to happen is starting to criticize your body and what you didn't do, shitting all over yourself. I should have done this. I should have done that. All of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny as you're bringing this example up, I'm thinking in my mind, Oh my God, this is almost like reverting back to college or post high school. If you don't go to college and whatever that looked like, just go getting on your own two feet outside of your parents' house, right? Where you're just like, what are, what are boundaries? What are my boundaries? And you're kind of just like staying up at weird hours, working weird hours, eating weird things. Like you're just kind of like learning to walk on your own two feet for the first time. And I feel like entrepreneurship is, is very much, we can get thrown back into that. Um, if we're not careful to really take care of ourselves. Yeah. I feel just like adulting in general. Like sometimes I had a client the other day, when do you know, like you're a full functioning adult? And I'm like, honestly, some days I'm like, you know, this feels very adult, but I don't feel like an adult. Um, you know, like sometimes I don't feel like, sometimes I don't feel like I have my, my, my stuff together, but I have little things that make me feel like I'm a boss and I have a list of things. And I think everybody should have a list of things or activities that make you feel like a boss that make you feel so empowered. Um, so on those days that you are really feeling really low, those are things you need to add. So things that make me feel empowered, this is so silly, but having a clean sink, I don't know why, but that makes me feel like I'm a full ass adult that has their stuff together. Having a clean sink, like a clean sink with no dishes. Oh, I so relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) I am very much, I'm about the clean sink. I'm also about clean countertops too. I get that from my mom, just like making sure the countertops are wiped (laughs) off. Absolutely. So I, I make it a point, like my night routine, I make it a point that, so my night routine starts at nine. And from nine to 10, that is where I start wrapping things up. That's where I plug my phone away from my sleep space. That's where I clean the countertops because I'm like, 
what is one nice thing that I could do for future Monica? Mm-hmm. Set the coffee up, wet these counters, get all of the dishes. Maybe if it, maybe I only have energy to put it in the dishwasher. That's okay. Um, but you know, like what is one nice thing that you could do for yourself? Um, picking a badass outfit, you know, that you could, or a comfy outfit for the next day, especially if you have, um, you know, just a full day of like deep work tasks. Um, yeah. So like, those are little things that you could do to start practicing compassion for mm-hmm. yourself. Oh, I, I just love what you just shared about what's one nice thing I can do for future Monica and for everybody listening future fill in your name, because mm-hmm. really it just start with one nice thing. It doesn't have, and I want, I want to just add my own personal experience with this and see how you feel about this, but it doesn't have to be like this full on list of all of the nice things at once, because I fall into this trap sometimes specifically with my morning routine where I'm like, I will journal and I will light a candle and I will burn some incense and I will read this book and I will meditate and I will do all the things. And I have really had to learn that it's not about, it's not about, I'm not failing myself if I don't show up for my morning routine. I'm taking care of myself by really tuning in and acknowledging, okay, what do I feel like doing? These are the options for how I can fill my morning. What feels the best right now? Sometimes it's one of those things. Sometimes it is all of those things. It's not most days, but I think just creating options and flexibility um, is, is so important. And I, I love what you just, what you just shared about, giving yourself that prompt for one nice thing moving forward. Absolutely. And and I like that you say flexibility because like for perfectionists, that's the hardest part because they do go from all or nothing. Like I have, so like if I do a morning routine, I have to do it all right. Like having a list of things and I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. Like a ritual, like a ritual that, you know, brings you back energy that sets you up, you know, for success for the day. I, I have like a time block for my morning routine. It's from six to nine. Um, but I don't say that I'm going to wake up at six. I'm just saying that whatever time I want to wake up between the the hours of 6am and nine, I'm fine with, and whatever I get to do during that time, whether I choose to do, I feel like doing a workout today, or like, I feel like looking at a YouTube video and doing yoga, or I feel like doing my one line journal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and, and Ryan there, I feel like maybe just having a conversation before uh, with my husband, before he goes to work, Mm. whatever you need, you just ask yourself, what do you need today? Like, what do you need today to fill your cup before you start filling other people's cups? Yeah. Yes. So good. So good. Well, the two takeaways I'm really gathering for perfectionism and just this whole conversation is just that courageous action and stepping out of your comfort zone and into action as well as mindset and flexibility as well too. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just appreciate your time and, and your truth and all these things. What are we going to title this podcast episode? We just talked about so many amazing things. I have no I idea. No, Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> Boundaries, body image, perfectionism, people pleasing, all these things. Right. I just feel it's like the art of letting go of all the, you know, or like, or the art of just like really showing up for yourself. Like it's, mm. Like, I think like so many beliefs that we have that have been shaped from our childhood, um, those are things that we can 
rewire. Those are things that don't have to hold us back. Um, those are things that we can learn from and do things differently um, and know that it's not a linear path, right? It, the, the path is not linear when it comes to body image. Amen. It just does it. <laughs> like, it, you know, like I, there are times where I'm not 100% super excited about my, my body, but there are some times I'm like, wow, body, I cannot believe that you just did all this hard work today, you know? And like, and you look good doing it. Like there are some times where it's, it's great. And there's some times where like, look, we kind of suck today, but we're going to do better tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah. and it's okay. You know, it's quite normal. And I, I think one of the best parts of that is recognizing how normal that is and not judging the days where you feel off. I certainly have them 100%, but I've also embraced that that's just a part of life. And that's very often on the bad, bad body image days. It has nothing to do with my body, you know? So it's another opportunity to look at, like zoom out and look at what else is going on too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, I resonate with that a lot because yeah, sometimes it isn't about our body. It's something else. And we just choose to maybe focus on the body mm -hmm. um, as like the root cause of everything else, but it's probably, it's something else. <laughs> um, we just choose to be that, that that's going to be the, the fuel to the fire. Um, and that's how we choose maybe to criticize ourselves because because maybe that's the easiest thing or what we're familiar with. Right. Like, yeah. In terms of like, so it's the safest thing. It's, and we mm -hmm. want safety in that moment. We know that like there's some sense of safety and not having to figure out what else it is in that moment, because we've, we've done it before, but, um, we, we could seriously go down a whole other rabbit hole with this. So you'll just have to Absolutely. come back on to the podcast. <laughs> and we'll talk more about it. Um, Thank you so much. Where can everybody connect with you and just get to know you more? Plug yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you can find me at Cafe with Monica on Instagram, Coffee and Therapy on TikTok. Um, and then I also have a podcast called Cafe with Monica. It is for women millennial entrepreneurs where we talk all about mental health and entrepreneurship, sharing the entrepreneurship journey, all the uh, behind the scenes that we don't show uh, things that people don't feel like they can talk about. I like to be able to hold space for people so that they could truly share their story, how they want, which is kind of a similar, you know, purpose, like you um, being able to show up just authentically as themselves. And I, I truly believe that by sharing our stories, we teach others. Mm, me too. Well, I'm so grateful for yours and I am so grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. We will, absolutely be sure to link everything in the show notes so that it's easy for everybody to find but thank you again so much for being here and just the person you are yeah thank you so much for having me that's our show thank you to our producer stephanie olea our show manager shayla anderson and our incredible guest if you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today click the show notes of this episode and if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend 
or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon. Thank you.